Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today I have with me Adrija Roy Chaudhary, who's written Delhi in Thy Name, The Many Legends That Make a City. Hi, Adrija. Hello, Manjula, and thank you so much for having me here. Okay, it's a great book, you know, I've really quite enjoyed reading it. And it's a quick read also, but it's I what really struck me is that so much information and you've like, you've brought history as well as the present and you've got a lot of people's voices. So yeah. that's good. So talk Thank about you. how you came to write this book. Uh, so um, this was partially my idea and partially Rupa's idea as well. Uh, and we both kind of, I interacted with the editor Shashwati and we kind of agreed on, you know, doing this together. And the idea was to, you know, look at uh, one, the whole peg of the book was to look at what, wh- how renaming is happening in today's political times. Hmm. Now, the the way we did not want it to be a typically political, you know, uh, reaction to anything that's happening currently, but we wanted to write a more cultural sort of, uh, you know, anthropological look at what goes behind naming, you know, what is it mm-hmm. behind a name that is so, you know, it, that is so striking. Why, why do people get so stirred up every time that there is a renaming happening? What is it that, you know, strikes people so much? So that is, so that's when we thought that let's look at, you know, the names on Delhi and look at what, are the little stories behind them? What do people mm. think of when they are naming a place, you know? So that's how we came up with it. And for me, it was very important that people need to be the center point of the book. The people mm. of Delhi, you know, what do, do they think about the names in their city? Mm. How are they interacting with the names? What is it that, you know, go, what is the subconscious and the conscious ways in which people react to or relate with the names in their in, in, in names that are around them, the street names, the neighborhood names? How is it, you mm. know, that people are relating to them? That was very, very important for me, even more than going into records and documents. It is the people's voices that I wanted to be the centerpiece of my book. Okay. Okay, and, and you got a lot of those. And what, what struck me especially is that you, you know, like usually you don't have octogenarians. I mean, you know, you don't have old people talking, though their stories are fascinating. But often people just leave out their uh, bits, which are very enriching. And, you know, you've done that. You've spoken to a lot of much older people and you've gotten the stories of how, especially, you know, how places like uh, uh, CR Park, and um, uh, uh, and I think Saket also yes, yes. Uh, grew. So talk about that. Uh, so you know um, the question I'm un- understanding is how to how did I manage to get older people to talk about the building of these neighborhoods, right? Uh, well, not really. How do you manage to get them? Because you know, generally they talk a lot. Like they, it's not difficult to make them talk. But uh, often I see that you know a lot of writers don't talk much to older people. I mean, we generally focus on people who are middle aged, maybe or young people. You know, and, and when actually the older people are the ones who are the repository of sort of 
this hmm. sort of knowledge right hmm, hmm. yes of course so you know see when we are looking at uh, neighborhoods like cr park and saket one thing we need to understand it is that these are neighborhoods that came up typically in the 1960s and 70s okay hmm. and a lot of the history of these neighborhoods uh one will not be recorded because work on a post independent india's history is very limited yes. and that also when it comes to a city's history it's all the more limited because it's more localized right yes so the repository of the history of these neighborhoods which came up fairly recently in historical terms are mm. these older people they mm. their stories is what you know their stories their experiences we need to record them because mm. the, you know that is the repository you won't have too many archival records on what was happening in cr park because it's too local also as well yes same yes. with saket you know you don't have that many records about these things but you have to talk to the people you have to talk to the older people and they will tell you about their experiences there was so much happening in delhi in the 1960s and 70s because the city was being expanded with the you know partition mig- uh, refugees had come in there were migrants from across the country because this was the capital it was the city of aspirations there were jobs there was higher education there was so much and the city was expanding en- enormously and how much of it has been recorded in terms of docu- documents it's mostly mm. the older people older generation who would have these little narratives about you know what was happening in say you know in khirki extension what mm. was happening near mukherjee nagar how did rajendra uh, rajendra nagar become suddenly this the hub of upsc aspirants you know mm-hmm. these are very you know interesting things that only the older people their stories have and it was it's very necessary to reach out to them and you know record their stories document their experiences in delhi of of this time this period chandni chowk and you know shahjanabad there's a lot of writing on it you know but these newer neighborhoods um, there's an absence of it i mean this is the first time i'm seeing somebody actually writing on them frankly you know that that's what interested me about the book because as i like more a lot of the people i know i mean i'm i'm also a migrant i've come in you know hmm. to delhi and while uh, old delhi is fascinating for its food and its ambiance and you have a lot of things to read about it but these new neighborhoods don't hmm. so uh, so talk about that yeah so manjula i was as matlab i was also equally fascinated more by that aspect of writing my book when it came to going into the neighborhoods which are uh, not that much spoken about mm-hmm. like pamposhan clave or shaheen bag for that matter and yes. of course i'm sure you would have realized that shaheen bag the reason for including the chapter was also because of the movement that happened yes okay. yes now thing is that uh, often on our understanding of history is fairly romanticized you know when it comes mm. to old delhi it's because of the mughal influence in delhi at max we'll go till the you know uh, new delhi the connaught place area or the area around the parliament because you know it was built by the british and there's a lot written on that aspect of delhi's history mm. but uh, you know that these parts about whatever happens after 1947 somehow mm. is not recorded or not written about 
the way it mm-hmm. should be and that is that is why i thought that you know i never it never occurred to me that pampoosh enclave is a, is is a neighborhood of uh, kashmiri pandits and i live mm-hmm. right opposite it and i never had i had never thought about it because you hardly think you hardly romanticize these parts of delhi right that's true that's true. <laughs> in fact like you like you mentioned in the book you know the name sounds uh, odd but i even i thought you know and i heard it i said oh it's a sort of strange name yes, but yes. One, <laughs> one doesn't think more deeply about it exactly exactly one doesn't think deeply about it and i've off, I, i've heard this name so many times while i've uh, i've lived in delhi and it never occurred to me that it's a group of kashmiri migrants living here and mm-hmm. uh, thing is again uh, the moment we think about kashmiri uh, pandit migration it is 1990s that comes to our mind yes, even the yes. mig- exodus yes. happened now this mm-hmm. particular neighborhood was built in the 1960s okay mm. which is again something that fascinated me that we can't then in that case we cannot call it a uh, you know a, a a product of the 1990s exodus this is something that has mm. been happening for a much longer time so what did the yes. capital city what would delhi mean to the kashmiri pandits in the 1960s how mm. what what why exactly were they were, did they want to come and settle here and name a place uh you know on on something that is of cultural significance to them hmm right then we come if we come to cr park or saket for that matter these are uh, neighborhoods that are so recent that you don't even think about them in historical terms like hmm. something like a saket it's it it doesn't really stir our historical imagination in any way there is a mall there is yes. a sports complex <laughs> there are huge large streets you know this is not at all our understanding of history in any way history ka matlab hai you know old buildings old monuments this is all yeah. that we understand of history but these neighborhoods also are very historical in the way it is shaping delhi it's very hmm. you know in important to understand how these parts of delhi were being built and put together what are the you know philosophies the ideologies going into putting these neighborhoods together so that's yes. why i thought you know that these it's very important to get into these neighborhoods of delhi as well hmm and and going back to pamposh uh, enclave you know i found that that uh, chapter kind of gave gave uh, you know one an insight into the kashmiri pandit community and uh, and generally the kashmiri mind because you spoken mm. to um, you know rahul panditani said some mm. some stuff in it and i mm. i found it very insightful mm. uh, you mm. know especially that bit about you know when you ask oh, how come there are no uh, you know names of personalities when people yeah. like nehru and all were kashmiri pandits right mm. <laughs> but there is no me uh, you know making a hero out of the person by naming a street in the uh, in the enclave after him or something you know mm. which mm. is the practice like you've pointed out in other places mm. so you know talk about um, talk about arriving at this i thought it was a good uh, you know insight to have as a non kashmiri you know okay uh, so you know if you look at most of the uh, refugee settlements in delhi most mm. of them you know have these nationalist leaders names uh, mm. like you have uh, malviya nagar lajpat nagar rajinder nagar cr park also for that matter all yes. of these were you know uh, nationalist freedom fighters and 
you know their names their personalities have been uh, you know uh, the the neighborhoods have been named after them and of course we know that you know in a post partition india when these neighborhoods were being built the whole idea was to also sort of uh, uh, you know uh, keep alive the spirit of nationalism and hence a lot of these names were put in these kind of neighborhoods what mm. struck me about pamposh was that it is not uh, paying homage to any personality nor mm. to any particular historical moment or figure or any of that sort you know and uh, he, this is a pamposhan kashmiri means uh, lotus okay mm. and um, there are very uh, you know this this particular group of migrants would rather uh, remember just a cultural motive or a, or a, rather a, you know something that is a, a reminder of the landscape of their home mm-hmm. than any particular personality is something that struck me in in the context of delhi where you have to so many freedom fighters being uh, you know remembered in the street names and neighborhood names yes, this is something yes. that struck me that why why so now my interview with rahul pandita was also a way to you know like probe a little further as to why the kashmiri pandit it would not want to remember any you know personality and like he pointed out is it's there is a lot of uh, grievance that the community be it the pandit or the kashmiri muslim community holds against history hmm. Hmm. you know a lot of grievance against the personalities and there is no one person that they want to hold up they rather yeah. hold up the only thing they want to hold very close to their heart is perhaps the the land that they have left behind so that hmm. is you know some and and again you know kashmiri pandit migration we often think is only a 1990s thing it was happening from the ni- it's a it's a practice that is part of their almost their identity you know that pandits have been migrating and when mm. they migrate they take a bit of you know their memory of their homeland you know is kept alive in the neighborhoods in the kind of uh, you know restaurants and uh, food uh, you know etc street names and all that they are making they keep alive that kind of uh you know uh, the the uh, sort of the remembrance of their of the landscape they have left behind so mm. like again rahul pandita also mentions this that you know one of the key factors that keeps the pandit community together is food and mm. we know that you know, the kashmiri pandit community also comes together in a lot of these festivals and all and you know with and food plays a huge role in keeping the communities uh, community together similarly mm. if you see in pamposh there is a there is a a, a community center of the pandit community and mm. there, there is a restaurant there which is named samavar which is the okay. uh, the you know the sort of the yeah. in which the, the kava is prepared so mm. you know these are little cultural motives that they would rather remember that they would uh, these these are symbols that they want to be known with rather than a personality which because there is you know no particular historical figure that the community w- wishes to perhaps look back at with fondness when you mm. have you when you feel uh, you know there's when you when there's a lot of grievance against the fact that you've had to leave your homeland you've had to you know uh, settle down elsewhere and you're not even given a refugee status so you know there is uh, they do feel, uh, I, my understanding of what uh, you know my understanding of the communities uh, look at uh, uh, how the community looks back at their history is this you know there is a lot of bitterness you know they don't want to mm. remember the historical figures they rather remember just their home mm. 
Okay. And another interesting chapter was the one on Shaheen Bagh. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, you've got out how the importance of Iqbal uh, to uh-huh. uh, and the whole Indian uh, North Indian Muslim ethos and you know all that in just the, the chapter on Shaheen Bagh. And again, you know, uh, I found your conversation with Niaz who mm-hmm. used to be also in Hindustan Times. Yes. Very, uh, very interesting. But also your conversation with the guy who, uh, with that man who uh, started Shaheen Bagh. The idea of the Shaheen Bagh chapter, in fact, came from an article that came out in Hindustan Times. So okay. uh, this, uh, so there was this article on how the Shaheen Bagh got to be named by, I think, Fariha if the car had written that article. And, uh, you know, I, it struck me that, you know, it's, uh, it, it is a... Uh, uh, it's of course taken from Iqbal's poetry, but uh, who, who? What does Iqbal mean to an Indian mm. Muslim who's building a community, yeah. building a society in the 1980s? Why, mm. you know, does his poetry strike a chord with him? This was yeah. the question with which I had gone to Sharik Ansarullah, mm. who was the person who built Shaheen Bagh. Yes, and yes, yes. So in the 1980s, he was this young man who had just, you know, uh, graduated from Jamia and he was wondering what to do with his life. And he decided that he will also become a developer and he'll uh, build this, uh, you know, housing complex. And, you know, like he bought certain bighas of land and he settled it and he was building flats to developing flats on it. So when it came to naming the place, he decided it would it should be shaheen because he was very inspired by iqbal's poetry okay so so my uh, when when i interacted with him i wanted to understand you know why what what did iqbal's writings mean to this you know 20 something year old in the 1980s so hmm. his his point his point is that you know iqbal was saying a lot of things which was, uh, you know, Iqbal's poetry at that moment was being read in a way that, you know, he's he's encouraging the, particularly the Muslim youth to, you know, uh, to, to move ahead, to sort of, you know, um, uh, to, to aim for more, to not just aim for, you know, to, uh, to, uh, to look at, to not look at the sky as the limit, you know, you should aim mm. for as much as you can. And uh, as far as I understand on reading about Iqbal from other scholars, this mm. is... This reading of Iqbal's poetry is more of a more of a modern take. In essence, mm. Iqbal was not just writing for Muslims; he was writing for everyone. But yes. in in a post-partition India, it, he was easily you know looked up as a symbol of you know uh, symbol of Muslim uh, you know. Uh, progress you know somebody who's asking like somebody who's encouraging the muslim youth to look for more you know to look beyond what they are all what they have achieved and you know then there is an aspect of reclaiming the glory of the muslim past mm-hmm. which a lot of uh, poets in the 19th century were doing you know this this was mm-hmm. the time you know when a lot of them were grieving the uh, the fact that a lot of the muslim empires the mughals the safavids they had you know, there's, there was a downturn that these empires had taken, and they wanted they they were also inspiring the youth to look back at those days of glory. Mm. So, 
in for shari kansarullah this is something that struck him and he feels that you know that the, this idea that uh, muslims need to you know look beyond look look uh, you know aim for higher is something that struck him and that is when you know he want, he really wanted to name the uh, that area about uh, you know after something that uh, that mattered to both his you know cultural and political thinking Hmm. in fact you know his first uh, his first choice was to name the place after himself okay but then <laughs> but then he he did not want to do that he thought that you know let me you know because i've been reading iqbal since i was a kid and i've read almost every poem he's written so i want to name it after him and hmm. so this is something that you know that like, was something that struck me in in terms of the political nature of shaheen the area around shaheen bagh and jamia nagar as well you know where uh, it it's not just just shariq it's also a, a large number of inhabitants of this area are way more politically involved or you know are are politically conscious rather you know mm-hmm. so this it's something that struck me about you know how this particular muslim enclave how is it different from say nizamuddin or the silampur yeah. um, jafrabad area or even parts of old delhi that's how i approached mm-hmm. this chapter and then of course i went into how the overall ghettoization and the creation of these muslim enclaves happen hmm and what i found interesting also is how uh, 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 you know you brought out the class differences within muslims also and not only that um, uh, this the, the you know when he says uh, 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 that um, you know they had applied they had uh, you know applied for that to be part of the lottery but somehow hmm. muslim names never seem to come up never seem to get it you know and that, that sort of uh, made me think you know and also and you uh, clearly that is the uh, idea also because the settlement itself is not authorized still though it's been in existence for a long time so this sort of systemic discriminations that you know uh, that come up right mm-hmm. that must be deeply felt there Yes in fact uh, the uh, whole idea was also to keep Saket and Shaheen Bagh side by side and you know make a com- bit of a comparative analysis here that i i want to speak about that a little bit so mm-hmm. you know like this uh, what i had asked uh, asked sharik uh, at that point was that you we know that the dda uh, does these uh, uh, lotteries when it comes yes. to you know um, like uh, who gets to buy a flat uh, that is being developed by the dda and he, what he told me was that uh, back in the 1980s uh, he uh, i think late 1980s or something he he and many of his friends had applied quite a few times um mm. and they each time they just never you know uh, you know could manage to get a flat for themselves so um the thing is you know like there are uh, there is a role that the dda has played in building delhi large parts of delhi mm. has been built by the dda and yet if you you know look at if like a very casual observe, observation in any of these dda neighborhoods is would be the complete absence of minorities Mm. or at least muslim uh, the muslims muslims right? yes definitely mm. so there is a you know a, you, there is an absence and most of the time you know you do find uh, you know like the 
it, in case of saket for that for that matter the neighborhood is essentially it's strewn across with you know muslim um, uh, remnants of the muslim past like you have monuments you have mosques you have a madrasa so there are large number of muslims living there but the the dd apartments they are somehow you know completely they don't they don't have any visible presence of muslims so mm. uh, my mm. uh, question also was that you know how is this you know systemic uh, i sort of uh, uh, you know marginalization of a community that happens where you know a, a neighborhoods that are typically built by the government are organized by in a very organized structure that are you do, you don't find minorities as much as you would want to even till date and it's been it even despite 75 years of independence and we still don't find minorities in these organized uh, neighborhoods rather we find them in you know in, in the more unorganized areas which in which they uh, in, in which the minorities dominate so how how does this ghettoization happen why has it happened this is something that you know was striking that how has the systemic uh, marginalization of a community happened after 1947 where you have so many enclaves typically the unorganized uh, you know unorganized enclaves which are muslim dominated and the and the uh, the dda uh, built neighborhoods they have a complete you know that they are somewhat invisible so that mm. is something that i found very uh, striking about Oh, while I was doing both these chapters, hmm. and then you know, and then you kind of provide a provide a sort of uh, answer to this question that the reader has by bringing in Nayaz Farooqi's hmm. thing about the minority complex and hmm. uh, and needing you know and all that. So let's talk about that because that was a very. I mean, I never thought of it like that. You know. Well, one vaguely thinks about it as being safety and everything, but hmm. also strength. right so talk yes. about that yes so um look in in case of neyaz you know like he is typically what any other young uh, you know young boy and girl who comes to delhi with you know studies in a you know like an acclaimed university what are they he his concerns are more or less the same he he is like any other uh, young boy you know worried about his next salary package you know promotions etc uh, why would a guy like him not want to live in any other uh, you know part of the city and want to live in a place that is still not uh, you know organized it is not exactly doesn't have many of the amenities that perhaps are parts like you know large parts of south delhi like uh, you know uh, gk or uh, uh, you know saket would have why why mm. why would he not want to live there and live in a place that doesn't have many of these am- amenities you know like like parks hospitals etc so his uh, he, he what struck me about that conversation was first thing he told me is that you know when he came uh, his first uh, concern was safety okay mm. and by safety he doesn't just mean uh, physical safety it's also mental st- safety yes the, yes yeah in the sense that you know you don't want to be in a place where your neighbors are feeling uncomfortable mm. or you don't want to be in a place you know where in or in a position where your landlord tells you that he won't give you a flat because you're a muslim yes you know you want that kind of mental sanity that you do at least okay okay you know if there is no park there is no park for everyone if mm. there is no hospital it's not there for everyone if it's filthy mm. it's filthy for everyone 
ओके सो सो फॉर हिम इट वॉज मोर इम्पॉर्टेंट टू मेंटेन दैट मेंटल सीनिटी एंड फाइंड अ प्लेस वेर ही फील्स सिक्योर and that is what this area around jamia nagar was giving him that sense of safety security now next question that one could ask is why only jamia nagar why not any other you know muslim dominated areas of delhi there are many you know yeah. there are so he uh, what i understood from the conversation with him was that you know he's he feels that there is a typical class distinction also between this mm. particular muslim enclave and other muslim enclaves of delhi and one can, one can say one of the biggest reasons is the presence of jamia over here there is yes. a, a central university is existing and a township is built around it Jamia Nagar is basically a university town. Jamia means university. Yes. Okay, yes. a university town that came up because of the presence of Jamia, and the in, the first inhabitants of this area were graduates of Jamia who started working in different corporates and they started living here. So that this particular part of this particular muslim enclave has a ha, is sort of you know there is a class distinction there is also an intellectual distinction over here and one can you know ask many you know ask this very very poignant question about why did the anti ca protest have start here and mm. not in any other muslim enclave of this city or of the country for that matter everywhere mm. else it happened after shaheen bag happened and the jamia protests happened so there is you know th- there's definitely something more uh, political more aspirational as well about this particular muslim enclave which strikes a chord with you know uh, ambitious young muslim men like nayas who mm. you know want to climb up the corporate ladder who have a lot of dreams for themselves but are also equally cautious about their muslim identity yes no? so mm-hmm. this is uh, this is what you know like marks out this part of delhi from any other muslim enclave as well mm. and of course he again says that in the interview as well that you know any kind of revolution we see historically it comes from the intellectual class Mm-hmm. and we all know that the anti ca movement was perhaps one of the biggest uh, protests that were happening uh, you know organized protests by the muslims in post independent india mm-hmm. and th- think come to think of it with i don't think it would have started in any other place other than jamia jamia mm-hmm. nagar because of the sort of intellectual class that this neighborhood has it it, it uh, you know the kind of the kind of people existing here it would be this part of delhi which would would would, would have led the this a, a protest like this mm-hmm. at the scale at which it happened mm-hmm. okay so now you know uh, your book sort of studies how uh, i mean you know studies how partition has impacted delhi right hmm. uh, in, in a sense in many ways it's uh, the modern city has uh, emerged out of partition so and ha- but most of it like you've pointed out you know the uh, focus has always been on on the migration uh, on the leaving of muslims from uh, from the city for pakistan and the mi- inward migration of punjabis uh, hmm. from west uh, from from pakistan right uh, in the west yeah. but yeah. not uh, east pakistan and mm. and then and the emergence of um, so let's talk about the emergence of cr park you know mm. the uh, and how it was settled by people by the 
uh, east pakistan displaced persons right hmm. which is hmm. that was the original uh, um, original label so yeah. talk about that okay okay so uh, you know there is a misconception that the original inhabitants of cr park were the uh, typically the refugees of east pakistan um, hmm. like say the refugees of west punjab that is they they are not the same you know which is why the original name of the neighborhood was east pakistan displaced persons mm-hmm. uh, colony epdp it yes. wasn't refugees and they that was a very conscious uh, decision to leave out the word refugee here and use the word displaced because the people the in, the original inhabitants or the, the inhabitants of cr park for that matter weren't exactly the refugees these were people who had lost out on property in east pakistan hmm now which brings me to the issue of the fact that there is a very long presence of bengalis in delhi hmm. which goes much further than the partition you know like it it they have been here since the 19th century 18th yes. 19th century and there and there's there were diff, you know like little little hubs of bengalis like the kashmiri gate area which is now famous for the oldest pujo in uh, mm. delhi this mm. this like this was one half there was timarpur there were many parts of delhi where de- a lot of bengalis lived since for for many many decades mm. what happens after partition is that many of these bengalis they lose out on an ancestral property mm. in east pakistan and okay. these are the people who reach out to the central government and say that okay you know Oh, since there are these neighborhoods being built for the refugees from west punjab we should also get a neighborhood to ourselves since a, we, a lot of us have also lost out on property we cannot go back to east pakistan ever hmm. we, we don't have a home in our original homeland anymore so this hmm. uh, you know why don't you set up a neighborhood for us and the initial plan was to have only government ser- government servants over here Okay. but once once the plan took off then you had a lot of private sector people also who said that no if you know if they are getting plots and we should also get so mm. then they formed a you know they formed a cooperative and they reached out to the central government that you know you have like uh, plots of land that you know are kept aside for the uh, and and the the interesting part is nowhere is it mentioned that it's bengalis huh? it's these are displaced people from east pakistan Hmm. whether or not you're bengali that doesn't matter so you do okay, so you could you could be a chakma or something absolutely absolutely okay. so if you see the original uh, you know resident records there are people who are non bengalis who are punjabis okay. as well who probably hmm. lost out on um, land in east pakistan and they are the ones who were given plots over here okay and, hmm. and but at the same time it does you know the the history of cr park does tell us little something you know very interesting about the way the partition happened in east pakistan as well it's which is hmm. very remarkably different from the way the partition happened in uh, west pakistan or west punjab these are two hmm. very different uh, you know ways in which the country was being partitioned and the 
the influence on delhi from both sides is of course very 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 different and for the most obvious reasons you know the uh, infiltrate the the refugee influx from west punjab is a lot more overwhelming because there were yes. a lot more in number that mm. is not the case with in one delhi is much further away from east pakistan so for yes. a lot of the migrants to come here uh, come here would be much more difficult but also in terms of sheer numbers as well the uh the migration from east pakistan was a lot slower it happened gradually over the course of the like over the course of 10 years as opposed mm-hmm. to the partition in west punjab where the migration influx was huge sudden and like there were like thousands and thousands coming in that is not the way mm-hmm. it happened in east pakistan mm-hmm. <clears throat> so th- yeah these these are very interesting ways in which the partition was affecting uh, the ex- the building of delhi post 1947 hmm yeah there were about, you mentioned some 17 lakh people came in in less than a year right into yes, delhi from yes, punjab yes. so yes. yeah um, just the space of a few months so exactly. that must have been completely overwhelming for the city mm-hmm. for the city planners as well which is why again you know the dda was set up with the specific intention of you know building delhi because uh, it was definitely overwhelming for the city planners and uh, mm-hmm. if you the predecessor of the dda which is the delhi improvement trust you know mm-hmm. they were built large uh, i think when new delhi was being conceptualized by the british with the mm-hmm. whole idea of you know decongesting the city and you know uh, with the change in capital and mm-hmm. after 47 they were completely overwhelmed and they the uh, the delhi improvement trust was just not in a position to carry out um, you know and and uh, you know a kind of project in which they can settle these many refugees so a new body mm-hmm. had to be built altogether with the intention of settling down these many refugees who were you know probably and like uh, a lot of them we, we know from old archival images of delhi how purana kila and humayun's tomb and all were completely you know um, they were a, lo- a lot of these refugees were living there for years or for months yeah, as a refugee camp i yes. i remember seeing pictures of purana kila yes. as a refugee camp Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's a very famous picture of you know the yeah. Purana Kila of it refugees scattered all around and sitting yeah. on the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and what a difference it is today, right? I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah so which also reminds me of how you know like things like the archaeological survey of India and you know hmm. all. when you talk about that mosque in uh, mosque slash Kila in Saket. Hmm. Hmm. in that village in saket in one of the saket hmm. villages and you know how uh, it makes you makes the reader think about you know in the contemporary context hmm. places of worship and places also places that need to be preserved for history and that whole uh, conflict even at that level that's happening hmm hmm and uh, you know uh, the whole uh, issue of the khirki masjid slash kila as you see. it is uh, you know what a lot of the we know of a lot of uh, the biggest example of a similar you know contention is perhaps the babri masjid yes. kind of mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. uh, you know like these kind of things are happening i was very surprised to come across an issue like that at such a local level 
Yes. And, right, you know, and it's happening. So, you know, then then you wonder that, you know, if yes, one is these issues when they happen at us and, you know, at a pan-India level, they lead to so much of destruction. And mm. uh, one, you know, how much of uh, attention should, you know, such a local issue get as well? Because it's so sensitive that you fan it a little bit and it can blow out of proportion. Yes. So, you know, like I, what I was very careful and a little, uh, uh, very, very cautious about putting that aspect of uh, Kirki in in the chapter as well, uh, mm. because you know one never knows, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like in this country, how things spiral out, na? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, what was the most difficult part? Now that you know, you mentioned this. What is the most difficult part of writing this book? Because you know, I, 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 like when you. read at first when you see the book and you not read it you know you think uh, as a reader i thought okay i mean i didn't consciously think but one thinks that uh, okay it will be a simple thing you know you write about the city and uh, and then you go on and whatever stories that emerge from it but as one reads it you can see that you know you are also grappling with the complexity of some of the issues that crop up right mm-hmm. so was that difficult and you know how did you uh, resolve it for yourself also uh you know to be very honest my the most difficult part about writing the book was the first chapter which is on chandni chowk mm. i'll tell you why mm. because there is so much written on it yes and there that to bring something fresh is a challenge mm. you know, whereas yeah. with the other chapters even yes it is complex but complexities are also interesting especially to a writer you know if, if it's not complex then it's not interesting right then yeah <laughs> right so you know so complex uh, the complexities of what was happening in shaheen bag and saket is was at least was more interesting for me to grapple with but when it the challenge with chandni chowk was that there's so much written on it and to give it yeah. a completely fresh perspective is what i struggled with the most you know and okay. to you know how do i look at it differently how how do i come you know understand this part of delhi in a way that other historians haven't yet mm-hmm. in so, fact you know i thought where you succeeded the moment you succeeded was when you brought up this uh, uh, bazar chitli kabar you know i never heard of it and when you start describing it and that cover and you know the and whoever is the unknown peer who is there i found huh. that very interesting how he is in the memory of people who yes. even the surrounding neighborhood doesn't know much about the peer himself so talk about that you know you know i, I you know this Uh, particular peer like if you ask the people around they will say that you know he's been here before the mughals were even though we know that you know shah janabad was largely it is a it is a city that was laid out by shah jahan and mm. we there's very little we think about what was happening in this part of delhi before shah janabad came into existence and that is an interesting question nonetheless you know to you know we never thought think about what was happening in old delhi in mm. the area around jama masjid before shah janabad Yes. So, who is this peer who everybody says was there before Mughal times as well? Hmm. Uh, no, nobody knows. But I think you know, local level religion also plays out in a very fascinating way. way. So hmm. one need not know a person to revere him. Everybody else is revering him, so we will revere him. Hmm. And he's part hmm. of my identity. He becomes part of my culture. He is. He becomes. You know, he's somebody I am. You know. Uh, 
like I, I have my hopes pinned up against even if you don't know the person Person, yeah, yeah. right and you then you you name streets you name places and you you know build a neighborhood around him you know yeah. because he becomes part of your identity which is which is very fascinating in the way you know how organically names also come into come into being hmm. and then another instance which i found interesting was that thing whole bit about the takht where you went yeah. looking for that takht and <laughs> you know that seat and then you find it some wooden bench on which all these men are sitting Ha right. ha yeah <laughs> you know so there is a very interesting article by Narayani Gupta where she mentions that there is a distinction we have to make between place names and street names okay what wow. is the distinction place names is something that people have given hmm. and street names is what is a product of official correspondence okay hmm. now if you see uh, the names of these gullies and kuchas in shahjanabad they are basically yeah. place names that people gave so if you have a takhat mm. wale gully it is because there is one takhat there and people will identify that gully as acche us gully mein takhat hai na takhat wali gully okay <laughs> or or if you have a place like khazanchi ki uh, khazanchi ki gully so khazanchi is mm. an accountant must yeah. have been an influential part of the city or you know influential member of the community there and so you have you know you have you you do have remnants of his uh, haveli still uh, existing in uh, mm. in in the place that is called khazanchi ki gali and the name of the street is very organically it give, becomes you know that wo khazanchi lives there that uh, so it becomes khazanchi ki gali you have uh, yeah. kucha you know uh, kucha uh, hira and uh, who was one of the architects of the red fort so you, it's not as if somebody consciously made there were official correspondence and you know you had paperwork and you put down the name of this gali as kucha hira it was just something very organic where people just mm-hmm. identify the name of a street as you know yahan pe you know, his house was perhaps ex- existing there he was an influential uh, you know person so you you name the gali after him it's very mm. it's very organic this uh, and uh, that's what you know uh, is fascinating about the takhat wali gali also is it there's nothing you know there's nothing very striking in terms of you know why this little street should be named after a takhat which is absolutely unremarkable <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a wooden bed which is old and there's nothing happening here but yeah we know but people identify the street with as you know the one which the takhat is laid out so it becomes the khat wali gali yeah so do, i found like those sort of details you know which i hadn't read before in other books about delhi or maybe i have not read widely now so because there are so many books on delhi yes. even in your book you know i kind of like sort of underlined the the books that you've referred to and then maybe okay i've not read this one so maybe i should you know because the the literature on delhi is so huge especially absolutely and i yeah Yeah. especially this part of delhi right yes yes and like i said you know that is the most challenging part because the literature on delhi is immense and to think of something fresh something uh, you know that will uh, that will appeal to people by its you know being some a new perspective is just it, it is the most challenging part and we do know some of the most fascinating travelogs and you know history books are on delhi as well look at city of jins or delhi yeah. by kushwan singh these are absolutely yeah. you know magnificent magnificent accounts of delhi mm. and <laughs> then to think that okay i have to do another book and you know what <laughs> what new can i bring to the city that has not been spoken about already 
Yeah. Yeah, but this uh, idea of, you know, the renaming and, uh, you know, I mean, the seed of the book, which is essentially from that, mm. right? Mm. Uh, the renaming of areas and the renaming of places. You know, and when you mention that in the in the introduction, it's very funny, this bit about uh, this. I didn't know there was a there was a place called Beef in Uttarakhand. <laughs> <laughs> the most fascinating was Corona in Uttarakhand, which is, which is now going, you know, like who really wants the name to be changed now. <laughs> and, and, and for a village to be called Pakistan, when it's, uh, when it's clearly not in Pakistan, yes. is also kind of like, I can imagine why they would want to change it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yes. so... Those are also moments that made me laugh, especially the beef and the corona, uh, you yes. know. And so it, it, it was fascinating to read uh, all this, you know. And I could keep talking to you because it's a very interesting <laughs> book. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll do well. And, you know, though it is local, it, hmm. it is also, you know, because we as a nation, we are constantly now changing names, right? I don't hmm. know. Uh, uh, yeah, at every I mean, and it's a national thing. And like you've mentioned in your uh, introduction, uh, you've referred to that, like, you know, right throughout the, and how, and you've also mentioned how some names are used in, like, in many places, like Rajiv Gandhi, uh, Mm. you know, uh, and Indra Gandhi, and like in Maharashtra, where I grew up, it's Shivaji, you know, there's a Shivaji airport, there's a Shivaji road, this, that, everything will be, you know, Mm. so, uh, the importance, but then this also means, li- like you've mentioned, the impo- the importance of a particular person in that area. But let's talk about how when they cease to be politically important, like in the case of Connaught Place being yes. renamed to, mm-hmm. you know, Rajiv mm-hmm. Gandhi Chowk. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. And sometimes it falls through. Though Connaught himself was not a very great person, <laughs> not a <laughs> remarkable person, you know. I mean, not remarkable in Indian history. He has his own merits, but in other parts of the British Empire, not yeah. so much in India. And, uh, yeah. you know, like uh, there is a tradition of naming places after members of the royal family that I've written about in the yes. book, how that happens. But uh, mm. uh, like what, what what was fascinating to me was the fact that, you know, you na- after independence, there are so many names of streets in Delhi that have been renamed left, right, center. You know, mm. have so many, you know, the Curzon Road becomes Kasturba Gandhi Marg, where your office is. Yes, uh, situated. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, then there are so many similar, you know, uh, British sounding names or British names of officers who, which have been removed and uh, Indian personalities have been put. So what happens in case of Connaught Place where the, the thing to remember over here is that the proposal to rename Connaught Place happened at in 1990s. And mm. I think what is important to remember is that names or political figures are also we have to also look at uh, place them in time so mm. maybe you know if this uh, the proposal to change the name of Connaught place happened say in the 1950s things mm. would be very different but mm, by 1990s you know like the of course, there is this also this fact that you know cannot place in itself. CP becomes a brand in itself, yes. and the caterers don't want to let go of that, which mm-hmm. is completely understandable. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to remember is also what was happening in the Indian political scenario at that time. 
why mm. would you know what was the uh, who, you know would rajiv gandhi be uh, somebody who would be accepted very easily in terms of naming an, a yet another neighborhood after him because we have already have enough what was the congress party going through at that moment and yes. which is why i had i did an interview with mr manishankar ayer who mm-hmm. was the person to propose the name renaming of uh, connaught place to rajiv chowk and he he was very you know he had a very candid very honest conversation with me in terms of what he thought went wrong and and like he says and i have mentioned it in my book as well that if there was something to do with the timing of it yes. so we need to ask you know like this this idea about why cannot place was not accepted as rajiv chowk other than the metro station of course which is mm-hmm. uh, you know very uh, which is the busiest metro station in in delhi for that matter so mm-hmm. that of course takes off but the naming of the shopping arcade it people don't accept it and we, the the question to ask over here is that what you know was it the political timing of the you know uh, proposal to change the name Hmm. it's also because at that like you mentioned like he mentions like manishankar hmm. ayer mentions uh, you know um, uh, narsimha rao was the prime minister and he, there was no yeah. great love lost you know i mean so the congress party itself the yeah. uh, was not behind it so maybe hmm. that that was also, a big had a big yes. part to play that like, was that of course was there then also you know this was the time of the whole babri masjid and shabano case and mm-hmm. all of that was happening and you know a lot of uh, what started out in the early 1990s is what has you know like culminated in a lot in some ways in what is happening in indian politics today you know the rise of the bjp and the fall of the down, fall of the congress somewhat starts in the early 1990s Hmm. And so you know, the, which takes us to uh, to the um, to your last bit where you uh, you know one stage where you say you know the naming of uh, now the new naming of streets after people like Shyam Prasad Mukherjee and uh, hmm. you know others is a reflection of where we are today, right? Which yes. Is, Yes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Like a new chapter in Indian history is being written, and uh, yes. we, one can analyze it, and you know, one needs to sit down and you know, look at, uh, you know, look at it more historically, perhaps, you know, on how uh, this change in uh, this change in the history of history writing happens. Yes. You know, when we're looking at the new names over here, these are. <coughs> t- uh typically politically uh, you know there is a motive behind them so mm. and th- but then again you know this is also f- a fairly new era in indian history one can look at yes. you know 2014 as a watershed moment where a new chapter in indian history also yes. begins and and yes. street names provide a very imp- very good uh, you know indication of how that change happens Yes, very interesting. You know, I could really keep talking to you about this because it's a fascinating subject, and you've like really got got your you sunk your teeth into it very nicely, and I really enjoyed this book. Uh, so, for the readers, go out and get Delhi in Thy Name: The Many Legends That Make a City. Even if you're not from Delhi, it's a really good read. It will give you a perspective on other cities and what's happening there as well. By Adrija Roy Chowdhury. Thank you so much, Adrija, for coming on the show. Thank you so much Manjula it was a pleasure being here. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.